Hi, this sounds different than our regular podcast, but stay with me and let me explain. This past Sunday, we had technical issues, and so we did not get a recording of the sermon. But the content of the sermon was so powerful that many have asked us to re-record. And so that's what this is, a re-recording of the material. No doubt some of you were told, you need to listen to this podcast. Those were probably the same people who have been asking me this week to re-record it. So I'm going to do that because it's important to them, but it's important to me as well. And the reason it's important to me is, as I said this past Sunday, I am really tired of having people show up and at my door or call me and say that their marriage is over. And we didn't even know they were having marital problems or people who have had great financial difficulty, and we didn't know it until it was too late. They had to do something drastic. That's the reason for this entire sermon series, really, on real relationships. We just don't really understand what real relationships are anymore. Just before we get started, let me tell you about a special page that we set up just for this message. You'll find it at www.church2911.com slash Sundays2. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S, the number two. There are links to scriptures there some quotes, and there's a chart that you'll probably want to copy and save because you won't find it anywhere else. We created it just for this sermon. So let me tell you a real love story. There was a young lady. She got married very young. And in 10 years, no kids, but she found herself to be a widow. It doesn't appear there was any family involved other than the family that she had married into because no one stepped up to help her out. And so she didn't have a lot of options. She ended up moving to her dead husband's hometown because he had some property there. She had made one friend in her husband's family, and this friend became her BFF pretty much. So she moves to her husband's hometown. She finds a place, but it's not not paying a lot, just enough to survive. But right after she begins working there, the owner of the place notices her. He, He immediately starts asking, who is that? He begins to give her favors. He tells the managers to help her out. He watches her. He watches her work ethic and watches how she interacts with other people. He invites her to lunch. He makes sure she has plenty to eat and makes sure that he has more than enough and gets her a to-go box so she can take it home with her so that she has plenty. And, you know, later in the day when she's eating that to-go lunch, she'll remember that the boss bought this for me. So he he had some purpose in all of those things. When she got home, She was telling her BFF, and she knew immediately, oh, this guy's sweet on you. Let me give you some advice. She said, stay close to him. When you're at work, stay as close as you can. Stay close to the people he works with because he'll be back around. And and do some special things. Don't just bathe after work. Bathe before work. And even if you have to be a janitor, don't dress like a janitor. Wear the best clothes you have. And I know you're working, but wear some perfume. And she even gave her some advice on flirting a little bit. So the next day, she followed the advice, and at the end of the day, she got a bonus. She got more than she worked for, and then she knew. He is hooked. There was one problem, though. There was another man who was interested, but this man wasn't really interested in her. He was interested in the land, but perhaps he would marry her to be able to just get the land. So this hero of a guy that wants to marry her, he sets things up. He accidentally runs into him in the street. And he makes sure he has some witnesses right there close by so that that the, the witnesses will hear everything that's going on. And he begins to ask about this lady and about her land. And yeah, the other guy, he, he says, yes, I'm interested. I really want the land. 
And so he begins to probe a little deeper, and he says, are you interested in her or just the land? And when he starts to lay it out, the guy begins to back away just a little bit. So he just lays it on thick. He, he tells him some of the issues, some of the connections, some of the things that also go with the land that he'll have to do, the potential problems. And the more and more he lays it on, finally the guy just backs away and he says, you know, I'm really not interested. Why, why, why don't you take the land? And so he does immediately. He ties the land up. He does what is necessary. And then he runs and he tells her. And, you know, if he's really after her, why did he have to buy the land? But he bought the land. So she would be able to have the money from the land. And then he also proposed to her. If he was going to do one, he didn't have to do the other, but he did both. And they were soon married. They didn't need to wait around because they had been checking each other out. He was watching her, her work ethic, how she treated other people, and she was watching him. She saw what kind of boss he was. And then the way that he handled this situation with the other man who was interested in her land, she knew immediately this was her hero. For 10 years, she was married to her first husband, and no kids. But almost immediately after marrying this new love interest, she gets pregnant. And nine months later, Ruth and Boaz have a baby, and they name him Obed. Yeah, this is a story out of the Bible. And Obed, this baby that they had, he's important also because he was the grandson of David, King David of all of Israel. Crazy story, wasn't it? Beautiful story, though. Look at what he did, and look at the way they pursued one another. Wow. Times have really changed, haven't they? They didn't hook up. They didn't date. They didn't even court. They just pursued one another. Sound old-fashioned? Sounds pretty cool to me. Romance, or what we call romance, has really changed, hasn't it? Just in the past hundred years or so, even. Courtship, you ever heard of that? Or calling on? When you want to call on a young lady? Andrew Hodges wrote in his biography on Alan Turing about the 1940s, the idea that marriage should include a mutual sexual satisfaction was still a modern one. He's talking about the 1940s here. It had not yet replaced the older idea of marriage as a social duty. Wow, social duty. We get so wrapped up in the sexual attraction, the physical, the outward. And dating, it needs to be said here. Dating is an American invention of the 20th century. It is not a God-ordained institution. I know you know that, but it needs to be said. We need to remind ourselves of that. that dating is not necessarily the best way to find that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. But that's why there is so much carnage out there, not just in broken hearts of spurned teenagers, but in broken homes and marriages as well. And now, what is the latest thing now? Let me hold that thought for just a moment. Think about what has changed from that love story way back about 3,000 years ago to today. This real love story that I've told you, Ruth and Boaz, the focus there was the other person. Remember how they were noticing one another. The context was establishing a family. The approach was he inquires about her and he invests in her. He spent some money here. There was accountability in the presence of the whole town. Everybody knew what was going on. And the commitment, it, it was a betrothal back in those days, as serious as marriage. To get out of a betrothal was a, a very serious thing. It, it, it's not like just she just gets mad and throws the ring back in your face. It's similar to a divorce, the sign of commitment was something like a dowry. It was not some little trinket. 
It was something useful, something of worth. Fast forward now to last century. First part of the century, into the 40s and the 50s. And let's talk about courtship. The focus of courtship was a lifelong future. The context was developing a relationship. The approach, he requests the opportunity to spend time with her. I've heard that men would even have their business cards printed and they would present them at the door and someone at the door would take it to the girl he wanted to see and and she would either return the card and say, no, I'm busy washing my hair or something, or she would invite him in. But he requested opportunity to spend time with her. The accountability was they would spend time there in the house, in the parlor often, and the parents would be nearby. The commitment, it was going steady as a potential precursor to engagement to be married. And the sign of commitment was a class ring or a letterman sweater or something like that. Sounds a little cheap to me because he's giving her something that he already has. He didn't have to spend any money on her, but it was giving her something that belonged to him so that when people saw it, they knew, oh, I know who you're dating now. Now go into the 50s, into the 60s, until most recently as well, the whole dating scene. Now the focus has become, in the last several, several decades, whether or not I like you. In other words, compatibility. We're going to come back to that word in just a little bit. The context of dating is, people have called it, play marriage. The problem with this is, is you're, you're playing marriage, but you're not learning how to have a great marriage. You're not learning how to develop a great life together. You're actually learning how to break up. It's sometimes been said that it's play divorce instead of play marriage. The approach of dating, he pursues her, or maybe they get set up on a blind date or maybe double dates. The accountability, for dating it's mostly strangers because no longer are they around a lot of people but the whole dating scene is to be able to go out on your own, just you two, to a movie, someplace like that, and you're really just around strangers. And you know, really there's not a lot of accountability around strangers. You've got to do something really, really bad for a stranger to step up and hold you accountable. The commitment for dating may be going steady uh, in an exclusive type way, but it is a short-term commitment, basically just until I decide I want to date someone else. And the sign of commitment is usually a ring. But now, most recently, we hear about hooking up. But I'm not talking about, you know, let's hook up for lunch. But I'm talking about hooking up in that urban definition of what it means. The focus of hooking up is self-gratification, meeting my needs. The context, entirely physical. The approach, it could be anything, online, texting, or um, single adults, it's bars, or could be anything, though. The accountability and hooking up, absolutely no one. The whole purpose is to actually get along with that person. The commitment, only to the moment, just to the moment, no commitment whatsoever. And so the sign of commitment, there is no sign of commitment because there is no commitment. My, how things have changed, but walk with me one more time through all of those things. And let's look at how much they've changed over all of these years. Our focus has changed from others to ourselves. The context of relationship has gone from establishing a family to sex. We've moved in our approach from lifelong journeys to brief encounters. Wow. That one statement right there pretty much sums it all up, doesn't it? Accountability is no longer existent. Commitment was once absolute, yet today it is non-existent. Our attitude 
has gone from sacrifice, giving to one another, to mutually using one another. I think you can agree with me. We've lost our way. We don't remember what it really means to be romantic, to love someone, to pursue. Let me take you to one place, one big place. I mentioned it just a little bit ago and told you I would come back to it. It's this word compatibility. I think this is one that really throws us off in our in our pursuits. It's we're looking for someone that is compatible. Let me read to you a quote from uh, Miss Murano, who's the editor of Psychology Today. I, I point that out because this is not a Christian magazine. This is not a preacher, but she and I are amening one another right here. She writes, compatibility isn't something you have. It's something you make. It's a process, one that you negotiate as you go along again and again. It's a disposition, an attitude, a willingness to work. Amen. Wow. Compatibility, it's not what most of us say. If there is such a thing as compatibility, and I believe there is, but not in the way we define it. If there is such a thing as compatibility, it is not enjoying the same music or movies or whatever. If you say you're compatible because you both enjoy the same style of music, what happens if one of you goes deaf? Or if you say we're compatible because we like doing things outside, we like rock climbing and going skiing, what happens when one of you blows out a knee? Compatibility is not just enjoying the same stuff. And compatibility is not chemistry. Yes, there is such a thing as chemistry. It's hormones. You know, when he smiles at you or when she laughs at your joke. And then you say, well, we've got such chemistry because no one laughs at my jokes. And she laughs at my joke. We have such chemistry. There's going to be a day that you're going to pick up the phone and you're going to call her. This this girl that you have chemistry with because she laughs at your jokes. You're going to call her at work and she's going to be having a bad day. And she's going to say, I I really don't want to talk right now. I'm really having a tough day. And you're really going to try to lighten her day. And so you just say, hey, I heard a new joke today. Let me tell it to you. And she's going to be like, no, no, listen, I don't want to hear a joke. I really just want to deal with my day. I do not want to feel better about it. I don't want to smile. I don't want to laugh. I don't want to hear a joke. But you go ahead and tell her the joke anyway. And she listens. And then when you're done, she says, I'll see you later. Bye and hangs up. And you think, oh, my goodness. She didn't laugh at my joke. What's happened to our chemistry? And then a young lady at the next desk or cubicle sticks her head around the corner and says, Hey, I heard you said that you'd heard a new joke. I'd love to hear it. And so you tell her the joke, and she just laughs and laughs and cackles, and you begin to think, wait a minute. Now I have chemistry with her. That's exactly how it happens. When you build your relationship on something like chemistry and hormones, those kind of things could change. For example, like this as well. Compatibility is not love at first sight. I remember eight, nine years old, the first time I really saw my wife. Yeah, I'd I'd met her before then. I mean, we've known each other pretty much all of our lives. But I remember first really seeing her. I I mean, really in a romantic way, even, even at that young age. We were playing in the backyard, and she came around the corner to play with us in the backyard and the the lights that were outside you know it was dark around her but the lights just hit her green eyes and and they were just sparkling I mean I still see this I still have this picture in my head 
and 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 I've said many times since then that I was immediately Twitter baited. If you don't know the movie Bambi, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's what it means. It's from that movie. I, I was Twitter baited, but that's not love. That's not compatibility. Yeah, you can be Twitter baited at first sight, but not love. You see, initial attractions they don't hold up over time, and when we have already wrongly settled that we were meant to be. We ignore the realities and sometimes blindly follow a path deeper into a relationship that is doomed. You see, you can be Twitter-pated at first sight, but you're not going to be in love at first sight. Love takes a whole lot more. And those initial attractions of, of beauty or whatever, those things are going to change. I mean, I used to have hair. And if Deva married me because of my hair, you know, she, she would have left me a long time ago. Compatibility. It is insignificant in surface issues, in interests, in like sports, travel, gourmet coffee, etc. And it is strong. Compatibility is strong on values. That's what compatibility is about. Values like marriage, you know, how you feel about marriage, kids, your mission in life, your, your religion, your life purpose, and God. I dare you. Go talk to a pre-marriage counselor. He's not going to ask if you like the same sports team or the same pizza toppings. He might break the ice, but he's going to be talking to you about your values. That's the important thing. If he's trying to counsel you to have a great marriage, he's going to be talking to you about things like kids, religion, life, purpose, and God. You see, compatibility is not about external insignificant things. It's about two people building something together called a life. And if you can build a life with someone, if you can hammer it out and, and, and make a life with someone, you are much more compatible with them than the couple who agrees on pizza toppings. Compatibility is about interaction. It's about relationship skills. It's about matching one another's needs. It's the reciprocal caring and sharing in one another's ups and downs and joys and disappointments. And incidentally, if you're dating someone that does not know how to share or does not care to share with you in your downs and your disappointments, only in your ups and your joys, you're not compatible with them. You need to find someone that is willing to do that. Compatibility is about respecting one another, honoring them as a person, being responsive to their feelings and emotions, valuing their opinions and their intelligence. Those are the things on which strong, successful relationships are built. That's what compatibility is. Now let me hear in closing to spell one more misconception or maybe even a lie. Have you ever heard that the divorce rate inside the church is the same as outside the church? If you've heard that, you've been lied to. Let me give you the facts. The lowest divorce rates are among Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending, evangelical Christians. On our Sunday's page, you'll see some sources to back up these stats. Three different sources that are there, and I can give you more if you want them. The lowest divorce rates are among Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, church-attending, evangelical Christians. Bible, Jesus, church, evangelical. And what that means about being evangelical, that means that you believe somebody else needs to hear about this awesome Jesus that has saved your soul and that you serve now. Christian divorce rate, the reality, the fact is this. The Christian divorce rate of those who rarely attend church is 60%. Pretty much the same as the rest of the world, right? 
but for those who attend church regularly, those who identify as Christians but also attend church regularly, 38%. Still not as low as we would like for it to be, but it's whereas those who identify as Christians and rarely attend church, it's almost two-thirds end up divorced. Those who attend church regularly, it's just over a third because it's about the things that you do. And you're doing the right things. If you're in church, if you believe the Bible, if you love Jesus, and if you're trying to tell someone else about this amazing Jesus, then you're doing the right things. Those are the things that are going to make for a great marriage as well because you're believing these things together. So keep doing those things. One of my greatest frustrations as a pastor is to lay it out there, to have all of these things ready to try and minister, have a prayer team come down at the end of a service and almost beg people to let us pray with you. And for people that I know that are hurting, their marriages are falling apart, their relationships, they're in bad relationships, relationships they should have been out of a long time ago. They don't know where their kids are. They have no relationship with their parents. Their finances are a mess. All these things that we do around church to support, to help, to counsel, to to pray with, people don't take advantage of it. And then I get a phone call or sometimes an email or a text saying, Pastor, we're getting divorced. Pastor, we have problems that will never be reconciled between us and our kids or me and my parents. And if we'd have just known, if they'd have just taken advantage of some of those tools, some of those things. So I encourage you today, join a small group. Whether you're close to 2911 or not, there's a, there's a good church near you probably with a small group that can support you, some place where you can, so you can have some relationship, a place where you can bounce ideas off, a place where you can ask for, for prayer. Join a small group. Get involved. It'll help you become stronger in your present relationship. This is part one of a two-part series on love relationships and marriage. Next week's sermon will be part two of this. So I hope you'll join us next week, February the 21st. And if you're close, come to 2911 and let us pour into you. Don't wait until it's too late. Do something to make your relationships, make your marriage better.